Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another segment of the PI Window on the World. As always, I'm your host, John Hansen. But really, you know, it's it's really a co-hosting uh, scenario because joining me today from Buyer's Meeting Point is Kelly Barner, who is my partner in crime. I guess that's the best way to say it in terms of our new book that will be coming out shortly uh, called Procurement at the Crossroads. And what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about a case that occurred uh, uh, in which uh, it was reported by the Portland Business Journal that the Oregon Supreme Court sided with the state and denied Oracle America's attempt to dismiss its top brass defendants in the state's lawsuit. And this, of course, uh, originates from Oracle's failure to deliver or implement a solution in the healthcare system uh, for that particular state. And, you know, it raises the question, should vendor executives be held personally liable for failed implementations? So joining me is Kelly Barner. Kelly, you, you know, you really are a co-host. I mean, we really do spend a lot of time together. Oh, well, thanks, John. I suppose co-host and partner in crime, it all goes together in one neat package. That was, and you know what's, what's great about that is is that we get a chance to sort of like let people eavesdrop on the kind of conversations that we have on a frequent basis, not only when we collaborated on the book, but other interesting subjects that affect the world of procurement, which I, I dare say, uh, in many instances, the implications or the focus may be on procurement, but the implications extend far beyond that, just like today's subject. I mean, wouldn't you agree? No, I would agree, and I think it's one of the things, and certainly we've discussed it in the book, and I've written about it in articles as well, that as procurement or supply chain becomes a function that has a greater impact and and greater reach into the different parts of the organization, and as the silo starts to go away, you really have to be more broadly educated. And so part of it is about skills, and part of it is about the news and staying on top of what's happening elsewhere in business, and then thinking proactively about the impact that that can have on your own world. Well, and you know what's interesting about this particular case is it all stands in a lawsuit and, and accusations on the part of Oregon uh, that, uh, of racketeering and other promises that weren't fulfilled by Oracle in a, con- uh, in a contract to implement a system to oversee its healthcare system. I mean, you're from Boston. Massachusetts ran into similar trouble with their implementations, didn't they? Yes, and, and you would think of all the states in the nation, we would be the furthest ahead because we had sort of pioneered the idea with what we locally sort of informally refer to as Romney Care, because, of course, Mitt Romney was the governor uh, when they managed to put uh, required health care in place in Massachusetts. And so there was already some kind of existing framework in place, 
and yet the exchange-type requirements that were established by the Federal Affordable Care Act um, and the fact that we didn't get any of the waivers that we requested as a state forced us to do enough change that we sort of had to start from the beginning. Um, And even with our experience, we didn't really have much better luck than any of the states that chose to run their own exchanges. Well, and I see, and I believe CGI, correct me if I'm wrong, was the one involved with Massachusetts. I could be wrong, but I believe they were the one involved with Massachusetts. Uh, it, this leads to an interesting question. I mean, a focus of responsibility. Like, like uh, I, I was uh, speaking at a conference in Vegas earlier in October. It had about three, four hundred senior executives, and talked with some of them from from various industries, hospitality industry, etc. And what they were saying is, is that in these instances where these initiatives fail, and and there's a long history of failed initiatives, is that in many cases the client feels like they've been an abused or, or in an abusive relationship, because what happens is that they they to a certain degree abdicate their responsibility for the project, but entrust the vendor to to follow through on what they say they can do. When the initiative fails, uh, they're then put in the embarrassing situation, especially in the public sector, of not wanting to admit that they've just spent all of this money. And uh, as a result, it sort of gets pushed on the sidelines and they're sort of bullied around a little bit and nothing ever changes. Is what Oregon is doing uh, in this instance, is this a, a sign of the times and perhaps a shift in that regard where, where you, know, you know, we're not going to take it anymore, we're mad as hell, we're not going to take it anymore, and this is the outward reaction to it and, and extending that further, Kelly, is that they're now saying we're not just going to hold this 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 nameless corporation. When I say nameless, it, it's obviously Oracle, but we're actually going to hold the executives within Oracle personally liable for what their company does or doesn't do. I mean, is this is this a, 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 an early warning sign that this may become the trend in the future, especially given the Supreme Court's decision to say that no Oracle executives could be held personally liable? What do you think? Well, I think whether it's a sign of the times or not, whether this is an indication of a broader trend, I do think it's absolutely an indication of just how high the stakes are. The fact that there are large enough cooperative efforts going on between the private and public sector uh, for a state like Oregon to go as far as naming individual executives within a vendor company as having been personally involved um, I think there's no question that the, the stakes are high and something like that, um, you know, depending on the exact circumstances, you can either look at it as a matter of accountability or you can look at it as sort of a defensive move. Um, and in looking into this, because I wanted to have a good handle on the details before this, today's discussion, I would never come to this table unprepared. Um, so certainly there's the list of all the folks that were called out by name and are listed as individuals in the lawsuit by the state of Oregon against Oracle America. Um, Obviously, Saffir Katz is the the highest billed name on the list. But then basically what you have is a bunch of vice presidents and senior vice presidents, most of whom specialize in the public sector or in government affairs, but there's a couple of technical folks in there too. But there is sort of a reciprocal side to this And while it's not a full suit, um, it's actually a, let me get this, they were served notice. So Oracle has also individually sued the former governor of Oregon, who ended up stepping down in February for 
matters sort of unrelated to this case, as well as his chief of staff, saying that they personally and individually played a role in this because they improperly inserted themselves into the decision-making process. And okay, so now think, let me ask you, sorry to interrupt, but yeah. let me ask you this question here, because one might preclude or, or, or reach the conclusion, I should say, that that Oracle's countersuit is in itself a defensive measure. I mean, it's almost like finger-pointing back and forth between, uh, you know, uh, an obstinate customer and a company that has mega dollars. I mean, it, 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 you know, it, it would be surprising if they didn't sue back or countersue Oracle, wouldn't it? No, absolutely. And it sounds like even the initial case, because the initial suit was filed by Oracle against the state of Oregon for a breach of contract, um, from the reading that I've done, that sounds like it was done hastily with the full knowledge that Oregon already had its own suit in the works. And so even though the legal action started from Oracle, you might as well call it a tie, and it's been sort of a tit for tat back and forth. I think there are four active lawsuits at this point, um, not counting any of the additional notices and things that have been served. And so it's, it's clearly a two-way issue, but I think you've asked a fair question here, is that when there is as much at stake as there clearly is in this kind of a scenario, can the organization be liable and be accountable without the leading and influential individuals in that organization also being liable? We see, now you go into, and see, this is where, I, where in, in my post uh, that I talked about the fact, that, or drew a parallel, if you would, uh, with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act of saying that executives who sign on the dotted line are financials, because of all the scandals at Enron and WorldCom, are personally liable for what they're signing. And, and prior to what happened uh, during that, 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 that terrible period in corporate history, I mean, there was no personal accountability. One would have to say is, is, is the implementation and, and the expenditure of taxpayers' dollars uh, especially it, it's public money, um, if it goes off the rails and promises aren't fulfilled, uh, why would that be any different? Why should they have a, a shield against them? I mean, that, that, that obviously uh, protects the, the, the executives, and if they're protected, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to change their method of operation. I mean, I was talking with, with a number of people and, and for example, Oracle was cited that sales reps are routinely hoofed out uh, because they're only as good as their last sale. In other words, you could have a great deal of success, but you're, you know, you're, you're, you're not so much rewarded for your success as so much as you're terminated for your failure. So there's a pressure point to land the deal, gain market share. I mean, if executives are held accountable, might that not have a positive impact in terms of, number one, Yes, you want to make the sales, but it's not worrying about making the sale and then making it work later kind of scenario. You know that. I mean, it's been common in this industry for a long time, hasn't it? Right. And, I mean, I think – so I, I feel sort of torn on this issue because on the one hand, of course, anybody that's been in a position to deal, especially with a very large, uh, high-influence multinational corporation, wants to say – yeah, you big wigs at the top of this organization, you know, of course you should be liable, of course you should be accountable. And the only thing that I find myself thinking on the other side of that is that especially if you're talking about personal liability, so not just calling them out as, as people that need to be involved in the court case, 
but literally going after the personal possessions um, and resources of these individuals as part of a court case, they have to have had the ability to prevent what happened or they had to have taken some kind of active step in and of themselves that contributed to the negative thing that happened. And I think as part of a logical test, you would almost have to say if, you know, in this case, we are talking about sales and procurement. So if Sassar Katz and all these other VPs and SVPs and technical leads did take malicious steps or deliberately deceive the folks in Oregon, um, then is, is there liability? Absolutely. But you can look at the reverse case where harm ends up being done to a supplier either because promised demand didn't come through or the, the buy side, the procurement side of a contract wasn't fulfilled. Are we going to find ourselves in a position down the road where we're talking about CTOs and category leads or, or sourcing managers being personally included in suits where a supplier is saying that harm was done to their business because the terms of the contract weren't fulfilled. So, 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 so in that regard, in the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the three technology trade groups uh, that supported Oracle's attempts to dismiss the individual plaintiffs, their argument was uh, that uh, beside the trial judge's personal jurisdiction ruling, uh, what it does, or, or, or as a result of it, uh, exposes out-of-state companies to massive personal liability in Oregon. They're just saying it's all going to be bad. But at, at, at what point? I mean, okay, how do I say this? It, it, do they deliberately or did they uh, deliberately attempt to deceive the client? I mean, you know, there's been reports that size 80% of all e-procurement initiatives over the year failed miserably. I, I think we've talked about SAP with a, a major retail drugstore chain that went under, largely because of the failed uh, ERP initiative. The uh, receiver for the, the, the retail uh, drugstore chain sued SAP, and SAP paid money, a non-disclosed amount, to settle it out of court. I mean, deception uh, doesn't have to be an intentful or willful act. It can be part of a, a – it, it, it wouldn't even be a deception. It's this focus of winning the business and, uh, you know, let's see if we can make it work kind of scenario. Uh, I, I mean, the emphasis is, is placed on winning the business, yet, you know, what about the follow-up of these? It's like press releases. You know, they announce all these contract wins. But nobody ever really follows up a year down the road to see if these wins materialized into a successful outcome. So it, it, it's like, isn't it really more than just a, a, an attempt intentionally to save, although that can be part of the overall suit and the racketeering and all the, the, the window dressing drama of that. But at the end of the day, even, it, it, and like with Sarbanes-Oxley, if these executives are held accountable for the performance of their company, and not just on the financial or the Wall Street perspective, but on the client delivery and satisfaction perspective, wouldn't that elevate, if you will, the commitment to excellence and to doing the job? I mean, that's, that's, that, that, that's on the other side. I mean, what do you think of that? Or is that just rebel-rousing, hug-a-tree, 60s-type thinking? No, no, I don't think it's, I don't think it's altruistic. I think... I think what ends up being difficult here is that, especially in the case of building these healthcare exchanges, uh, I mean, Oracle is no spring chicken. They're a very large organization with a lot of resources. And yet, like other large, hypothetically very capable organizations, 
they they did fail. And whether it was them that failed in isolation or whether they were contributing factors from the Oregon side, I think what ends up being a factor in this that you can't consider the liability without necessarily including the impact is that this is, in fact, a private sector versus public sector issue. And it's part of why I went and pulled the title because I wanted to know. So we're saying, and I do believe the justification for including them named as individuals in the suit is the fact that they did take active steps. I don't think it was about sort of a willing unawareness that's allowing them to be included. Um, Oregon is saying that there were active steps taken to to defraud and, and to provide bad information early in the project. But the vast majority of the people on this list were specialists in public sector, in governmental affairs projects. And just like you and I discussed in the book, while I don't think you any longer have this idea where we think of public sector as being the private sector's like goofy cousin that can't get it done right. I don't think that's the case anymore. But there are some additional constraints that come with that that prevent the two from being the same. And the example we use in the book is about the post office. That it's one thing to say, yes, you can you can look at the U.S. Postal Service and say, gee, they're in really bad financial straits and they have some pension issues that are tanking their ability to be profitable, could UPS or FedEx or, or somebody comparable run this more cost effectively? Maybe. But the U.S. Postal Service also has the uniquely public sector issue that they also have to do the things that are not cost effective. So they have to deliver mail to people living in inconvenient to reach locations. Um, and so anytime you do have a public sector issue, I think you have to consider it more carefully. And one of the things that became one of the countersuits in this case that I find interesting is that, so we start with Oregon, excuse me, we start with Oracle saying breach of contract, you know, we, we are taking you to court. And you have some back and forth. But one of the things that's tied in here is that Oracle had already put together and was maintaining the Medicare exchange for the state of Oregon. And in fact, that's one of Oracle's main selling points on their site as to why you should work with them to build your healthcare exchange, because they're claiming to be the only one that can integrate with existing Medicaid systems. So they already had that in place. Oregon had to take them to court to force them to con continue delivering those services because they couldn't let the conflict going on around the Affordable Care Act start to negatively impact people in the state of Oregon that were requiring Medicaid and the access they were getting to Oracle. So I do think whether there's a different set of rules or not, I do think there are different considerations where there are essential services being provided, and that needs to be understood as part of the total package and brought in as an influence when you're deciding what steps to take. So if I understand you correctly, the lawsuit put at risk a service – that Oracle was delivering, and there was concern around that. And that gave Oracle a leverage or bargaining chip, potentially, in terms of this other element. I mean, it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is nothing new, I guess, in the world, but those who can afford it uh, don't necessarily have to be right as long as they have the might. 
and I, when I talk about might, I talk about dollars. I talk about uh, uh, influence within that. Doesn't that mean? What does that mean? Given those circumstances, that Oregon again is stepping up the plate and, and remaining firm on this. I mean, is it? Is it? Is this? And it goes back to my original question: Is this the fact that we've been abused long enough? And, and this is—I'm using that term not on my own, but just some of the feedback I get from some of these larger company executives who often feel that when faced when going up against a vendor like an Oracle, uh, that they have no choice but to acquiesce. Or, 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 you know, take the proverbial bullet because there's no point in fighting them. I mean, yet Oregon is doing that. What, what does that say about this? Is this a reflection of Oregon just being frustrated, uh, or is this a reflection of the point that that Oregon is feels that they're just right in terms of what they're doing? And does the Oregon decision? Uh, by the Supreme Court, that private or, or, or executives personally can be held liable. Does that tilt the scales back in a little bit more favor of the of, of the buying side? Well, I mean, I don't know how unique this case is. Obviously, only the people that were in the room actually know who said what and how large of an influence that had on anybody's decision making. Um, it it does sound to me, just from my reading. Like there probably were, in fact, mistakes made on both sides. Um, one of the things that I found particularly interesting is that so they all, Oregon already had Oracle providing your Medicaid exchange or Medicaid site. So when they went to do the full ACA healthcare exchange, they didn't just say, okay, this is what we need to have to provide the basic healthcare exchange for people in the state of Oregon. They said, no, no, let's think bigger. And so rather than just limiting it to an exchange, they had expanded the scope of the project, and they were bringing in all of the IT infrastructure that went along with supporting the healthcare process and exchanges taking place in the state of Oregon. And so to me, and granted this is, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, it indicates to me that there may have been a lack of understanding of the risk and complexity on both sides of this project both on the Oregon side and the Oracle side, because at this point we would look at the number of failures, Oregon and Massachusetts being two of them, with major credible vendors, and you'd say, if you were going to attempt this from square one, you would keep the scope as simple and narrow and basic as you possibly could and get it right and see it stable and see it work before you tried anything else. The fact that they had added on and included things to the scope of the project before it was even begun seems unfathomable to me at this point. The other thing that I find interesting, so it moves away from the beginning of the project and actually brings us a little bit more up to date with where the state of Oregon is today. The exchange associated with Oracle, the efforts generally considered to be an enormous failure, and obviously all of the, the legal action and arbitration will continue. But the state of Oregon still doesn't need to fill this need. This is something they need to figure out. And instead of going and finding an alternate vendor or, or starting again or replacing their people internally, they made the decision to go and join a different already existing, already functioning exchange. And so maybe in going through this process, they also learned enough about themselves and what they had the appetite for from an internal resource perspective they didn't attempt to do it again. They went and found another pre-existing exchange to meet that requirement for the residents of the state. 
Okay, here's the thing, though, and just listening to what you had to say because it's interesting. Both parties underestimated the risks and the challenges and the scope. Um, and, and, and so it sounds like there's shared blame or, 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 or mutual responsibility, right? I mean, it goes back to Collins' book, Autopsies Without Blame, Stop Finger Pointing and Figure It Out. But we're... Is the breakdown then in this that, like, you know, and one of the things that came to mind, and again, may seem overly simplistic, maybe even a bit silly, but, you know, just because my uh, children want to eat all their Halloween candies before dinner doesn't mean I have to give it to them. It, the way in which it's been explained to me is, is an oracle will look down at the customer and say, we know what we're doing, you don't, follow our direction. If the customer comes up and asks for something that is, 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 is too risky, does Oracle have the the wherewithal or the desire or the will to say, no, we can't do it like that and be prepared to walk away from it? And is this what the executive should be held accountable for? Because let's face it, if an executive at Oracle or a decision is made, we're not going to do that sale because you're asking us to do something we absolutely cannot do and we draw this hard line in the sand, even if it means we lose the business. You know Wall Street is going to punish the companies if they don't hit their earnings percentages and whatnot. I mean, is, is, is that part of the problem there? It's because you would think that Oracle would know what they can and cannot do. You would think that Oracle would, by their experience and time in the industry, would have enough expertise to be able to say, you know, you're asking something that's stretching a little too far. We don't think we can do it. Would they be prepared to admit that without executive liability? Yeah, well, I think you're probably right about that. So clearly, like with your press release example, it was more important to Oracle to close the deal and get the sale and the contract than it was to know that they could reach the outcomes and the goals stated in the contract. And I think part of what has to come into play here is that this is by no means a transactional supply or delivery relationship this kind of effort has to be highly collaborative. And one of the things that is essential for a highly collaborative effort is for both parties, regardless of their relative size and influence, to have the same amount of skin in the game. They have the same amount to gain and they have the same amount to lose. And I think when you look at the difference between a successful collaborative partnership, like we see with Tesla Motors and uh, Panasonic in their battery gigafactory, highly successful, versus a completely failed partnership, which you see in the Volkswagen-Suzuki collaboration, anytime there's an imbalance, either real or perceived, it simply can't succeed. And I think this is an issue where in order to successfully create this exchange and roll it out to the people of Oregon and define the scope up front so that you could reach that point, both parties had to be equally in. And I think it's part of why it just rubs me the wrong way that these individuals on the Oracle side are being called out while everybody knows full well that they wouldn't want to have the same kind of liability themselves on the buy side. I, just, I struggle with that because it needs to be more balanced. I don't think it has to be the same size company, but there has to be the the same size carrot and the same size stick uh, okay, for, but, for everybody okay, but in the situation. I agree. Let, let, let's go with this analogy, and this may be it. I, I'm sick. I go to the doctor. 
the doctor prescribes medication. I go home, but I don't take the medication. I get sick. I can't sue the doctor if I don't follow his instructions. Scenario, though, is I go to the doctor. The doctor prescribes a course of treatment, a medication. I follow the doctor's directions, and I get sick. I get the wrong medication. Something happens. You could potentially sue the doctor for liability. The analogy there is, is at what point did the customer fail to do what Oracle said they had to do to be successful? And at what point does Oracle has the experts, let's face it, they're the ones who should be driving the initiative and directing the client, working in conjunction with the client as to what needs to be done. Uh, at what point uh, do you say, well, yeah, we're experts, but you know what, we're only so far liable for this. You know, do you know what I'm saying, Kelly? I mean, it's like, is it safe to say that, you know, if if Oregon didn't follow the direction of Oracle's uh, implementation or didn't provide information or didn't do what was important, you can't blame Oracle. But on the other side of the coin, if they have followed directions and Oracle was taking the lead on this, and, and we're not even getting into the fact that client abdication of responsibility, uh, you know, in terms of, of they should be the ones perhaps taking the lead, but relying on Oracle's expertise and Oracle's putting themselves out as an expert, shouldn't they then have the lion's share of responsibility? But should Oregon have been willing to give that amount of responsibility to a vendor? And I know you had said we're not going to go into abdication of responsibility, but I'm not, I'm not sure you can discuss this without going there because you have to look at the complexity and the responsibility that you have to the citizens and taxpayers of the state of Oregon. I, you know, and it sounds like, ironically, in a way, uh, the former governor and his chief of staff tried to insert themselves into the decision-making process. What, what exactly that means, I don't know. Um, were they trying to prevent things? Were they trying to force things? It, it's hard to tell, you know, which way that was going. Um, All right, but, but see, that seem... brings it back. Sorry to interrupt, but that brings it back hmm. to the original question. If that insertion was happening, if those things were happening, Oracle, in, in, in reality, should have recognized that and should have said, look, this isn't going to work this way. And that goes back to walking away from the business. I mean, at some point, you know, if, if, if Oregon has done something uh, that was wrong or going to be detrimental to the process, why go into the agreement in the first place? Leave the money on the table and say, this isn't going to turn out well. Why? You know, it's your you choice, right? I mean, it's your choice. I mean, let's face it. You know, both parties entered in this agreement with the, what you could say a degree of free will. If Oracle's turning around saying, well, in this process, they implemented, they injected themselves into it, look at the problems they caused, the reasonable question would be then walk away. Why not walk away from the deal? And that's I think, goes to where I'm sort of swinging to the other side that these executives should be held accountable. Because how many times have they dealt with a client? And, and again, I'll use that analogy of my kids want to eat Halloween candies before dinner. No disrespect to Oregon and saying they're like children. But, you know, if I'm a professional and I know my stuff and I know that something's being done is going to cause a problem, A, I'm either going to say something or B, if I say something and it's still going to stay the course, I'm going to walk away from the deal. 
yet they didn't walk away from the deal. And now they're complaining, well, yeah, but look at all the problems that were caused by these people getting injected into the whole process. Well, you had a choice. Walk away. And then none of this would have happened. And I can't help but think that in many instances, the oracles of the world know they're walking into, into a bad situation, and either they don't have the will or the ability or the influence to say, stop, what you're doing as a client is not going to help the process. And if you don't change, we can't get involved. I don't think that that option is really seriously on the table unless the executives are held liable. I mean, that's really my point here. And yet, so let's go with this for a minute and say that this case goes ahead, that Oracle loses, that these individual executives, because they were allowed to remain listed as part of the suit, do have some kind of personal judgment assessed against them. Um, what does that change in the business world going forward? I mean, ideally, you would like to think that that means there's not going to be any more large-scale IT failures, that executives who now know they can be called in individually in one of these cases are going to do everything that they can to either deliver or to make very clear that the project has gone down a bad road. But across the board, I can't think it's realistic to expect that's going to happen everywhere. And so executives are going to start finding ways to protect themselves or companies are going to be expected to find ways to protect their individuals, their executives personally. Um, you know, I think something like this is, it's certainly interesting and it's almost, at least at this point, interesting from an academic perspective, but it's very hard for me to see how much is really going to change on a broader scale down the road if this should continue in the direction that it looks like it's going in. Okay, so how about this? Is it a fair analogy to say with the introduction of Sarbanes-Oxley and the executive accountability for the financials they were signing off on has had an impact? And would we not anticipate that a similar type of impact would also be the consequence here? Because let's face it, if you give somebody pause for thought and you say, am I going to be sued? And, and remember, and I'm, I'm using the example, and it was kind of interesting, of, of, of what the Chamber of Commerce and the technology trade groups had said, that it makes Oregon an attractive place to do business. You know, nobody's going to want to do business with you if you're going to hold executives accountable. And that's a veiled threat saying, you know, you won't get anybody who's willing to deal with you. Uh, that's, the, that's the intimation of that kind of thing. But if, 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 if you look at it, has Sarbanes-Oxley, the first question is, been effective in, in, in that holding executives accountable for the accuracy or the veracity of their financial reports, has that had a positive impact? And if it has, wouldn't a similar thing occur in terms of this arena as well? I mean, somebody has to look at the deal and say, we can't do it, or what you're doing is not set up to be successful. It's not going to succeed. So, you know, that's really the question. Did this do a benefit with Sarbanes-Oxley and the accountability for financials? And if it did, is it not reasonable to conclude that the same result could happen in this arena as well? I mean, because the same pushback came with Sarbanes-Oxley to a certain degree. Yeah, so no, I think, it's, I think it's a perfect analogy. It's as close as you're going to get. And I think that there were, so there were a couple of outcomes, right? So part of it is 
you know, huge changes for finance, huge changes for CEOs. Yes, they had to, they had to meet the, their requirements. They had to sign. They put their name on the dotted line. Um, it doesn't mean that companies stopped failing, but certainly we've heard about less examples of these big sort of accounting scandals. I think the other thing that came out of it, though, is it sort of created a new industry. So because the CEO cannot realistically say, I saw all of these transactions, I saw all of these checks, I am comfortable all the way into the weeds of the details of what we've done financially over the year, started working with these audit firms and accounting firms that specialize in Sarbanes-Oxley compliance. And so you then are relying on this additional layer that's brought into the company that, you know, yes, does the CEO spend on the dotted line? Yes, but so does that certified accountant. And so it's, it's a matter of now you're going to, who else are you going to drag in saying that if I have to sign, you have to sign too, and what sorts of things does this end up inserting to the process that has sort of an effect that it would be hard to anticipate? Well, I mean, that's and that's why this is a simple, complex situation. I mean, we're we're trying to, in the in the scope of radio show, talk about a complex issue or challenge that has consequences both anticipated but unanticipated. But it, I think it symbolizes that there has to be a change somewhere. Somewhere along the line, somebody has to take ownership, and and. and because there have been huge failures. There have been misses. And, and I don't uh, think that the vendors should bear all of the responsibility. Uh, I do think there's a certain amount of abdication or blind abdication, although I will say this, his newer generations come in and they're more technologically savvy. Uh, the days of nobody ever got fired for buying IBM are, are certainly gone. Uh, you know, And the belt with suspenders mindset approach to technology. But the reality is, is that I, I just can't help but think that if there is an element of, of personal executive liability, that ultimately, and like the Sarbanes-Oxley, the vigilance that it will cause will maybe give pause to the vendors to say, look, we don't like the way in which you, the, the, the client, uh, are approaching this. We see these inherent flaws. It's our name on the bottom line here if we fail to do the job. Uh, and we have to take ownership of it. I mean, you know, I, and again, to trivialize this, I mean, you know, people in the States, especially more so than Canada, are litigious. I mean, somebody spills a hot cup of coffee on their lap, they sue for a million dollars, right? They, we're not talking about something simple like this. So, I mean, like, there, there is a precedence for, for, for being able to, to sue. And, and, and take legal action on that front. And, and I think this is far more, more, more critical than a, than a spilled cup of coffee, as uncomfortable as that would be. So if you hold these people accountable, uh, I think they're just going to go into the relationship as the experts with a little bit more forethought into it and less of let's please Wall Street, uh, but let's make, you know, first and foremost, can we do the job under the way it's being presented? And that, I think, to a certain degree, will force the end user client or the buyer to, uh, if, if, if they're running into vendors, say, I'm not touching that the way it is. This is how you've got to do it. I think it'll, it'll force the buyers to take a more proactive role in that. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Do you think that it will, though? Do you really think it'll change the role of the, of the buyer, or will they simply move on until they can find the organization, the, the provider organization, that's willing to accept the risk and do what they're asking? 
Well, you see, you just made a fair comment. In other words, you know, uh, are they just going to go to the vendor who will give them the answer <laughs> that they want to hear? That isn't the right answer, but the answer they want to hear. But at that particular point, I think what happens is is that under this executive liability clause, they're going to have to go real deep in the chain to get somebody to do it. And that vendor who does say yes will ultimately have to deal with the consequences of it. You know what I mean? I think in that case, the buyer will lose because ultimately only the worst of companies who need the business will make those kinds of deals, right? And on the other side of the coin is is that the vendors themselves will expose themselves. But generally speaking, I think it will at least force a filtering process that will maybe stop 10% of all these deals from going forward, at least the way they are. I, again, I'm, I'm having trouble with Oracle complaining about these people being injected into the decision-making process and still taking the deal and now claiming that that was a major problem. Then if that was a major problem and the customer insisted that, then walk away. Right. And as an executive, I would have to think, let's say, again, this does go through you're sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because if you accept the deal and let it go down the road and get to the point where Oregon and Oracle America did, then you find yourself personally liable. If you don't take the deal, and let's face it, the nature of this kind of work is messy and complex and high visibility and high stakes. If you don't take the deal because you calculate that the risk is too high, you're not going to meet your earnings expectations, and you're going to be fired, which is personal liability. So yeah, but it, you see, there's it the, ends but, up but putting there's a the double problem. pressure on these people. Yeah, but there's the problem, and it goes back to, I think Wall Street's bad for business. I think that, that, that these companies are, are driven by their share price more than they are delivering to client expectations. I mean, I think they're in between a, an irresistible force and a movable object scenario, certainly. But the reality is, is that, you know, that goes to the motives of why a company would take a deal that they knew it wasn't a good deal. You know, I mean, it, and that's the problem. Who is being rewarded for what? And I think that's where the problem comes in. And, 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 and I think you have to look at it and say, you know, are you, are you playing to Wall Street and your stock price? Uh, or are you playing to supporting the vendors? I mean, I don't think, honestly, uh, you know, they're saying you can't serve two masters or you can't suck and blow at the same time. Whatever analogy you want to use, uh, the reality is, is you can't have two ultimately opposing objectives. And I don't think that Wall Street's objectives align with the end client's objectives. Because the, 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 the point that you just made is if they make the right decision, that's not only in the benefits of the customer by standing firm, but also in their own peace of mind uh, in terms of the fact that we're not taking on business that we know is going to be bad from the start, uh, they're going to get whacked or punished by, by not hitting their earnings per, uh, targets. You know, I mean, that's really, I, I think there's just too many opposing forces here. And, and that's a problem. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, I certainly think it brings back the point that if you can't bring your objectives as a buyer and the objectives of the supplier into some kind of alignment for these very uh, complex projects, 
um, that that they are doomed to fail from the outset. And I would love to get to read the contract that originally established this arrangement between Oracle and Oregon because you have to think that in there, both sides knew that there was risk. And so was Oracle thinking we just have to reach this milestone and we'll get some kind of a payout and then come what may? Um, or was Oregon thinking they've signed on the dotted line, so now we've got them, we can force them to provide this? Um, it just seems that there were problems inherent with this situation before day one of the effort. Um, and and I think that it, it actually makes good sense in the situation that there are so many suits and countersuits uh, because I think it is a, a fine mess of a situation, um, and, and I think both sides play a serious role in the point that it has reached. You know what's interesting, and this is the thing, and, and, I, and, and I've been told this before, is lawsuits and the cost of it are costs of doing business and are calculated into projects to a certain degree. I and mean, I mean Oracle, cost, may, Oracle may look at this and say, this is What's much that? more expensive for Oregon than for Oracle. And that's where the power shift is. Because Oracle, if you look at it, if Oracle gets paid a, this much money, and the cost of that uh, includes uh, you know, a litigation or lawsuits, if they build a cost model along that uh, side, to Oregon or to Oracle, this may be, hey, this is just the cost of doing business. You're going to get sued. It's a litigious world. These problems are going to happen, but ultimately with the Oregon deal, we're going to walk away, and we're going to come out ahead money-wise. And let's face it, the attention span of the public on stories such as these is, is minimal at best. People will forget about it. There's nobody, there's nobody talking about it, nobody recording it in the industry. People forget about it, so there's no loss. We end up coming out ahead. Oregon, on the other hand, spending taxpayer money, they've got to be able to do this. Um, ultimately, I think they're going to be the losers in this. I, I, I think that, you know, uh, as much as a state can go up against a, a company uh, like Oracle, Oracle probably has much more pockets or deeper pockets uh, that they can uh, use this discretionary spend on, let's call it that, uh, in terms of this. But, you know, it would be interesting to see whether or not the salespeople or the people who are involved in landing this deal are still with the company. That yeah, would be exactly. I mean, they certainly weren't named in the suit. There was nobody that sounded anything like business development or sales or lead generation or relationship management. There was, there was none of that. It was all on the execution side. Okay, so Kelly, we're down to what you can call the last couple of minutes. Uh, I'll give you my point, and then I'll let you conclude. So you're the last word everybody hears. But my point is, going back to what I'm saying before, is I think that uh, I think executives should be held accountable, if not, not for any other reason than they present themselves as the expert solution providers, and that if a deal is bad, or like they're claiming with Oregon, that people were injected into the process, uh, and they still went ahead with the deal despite this, uh, they may give extra pause for thought and say, if we're going to be held personally liable as executives, uh, just like Sarbanes-Oxley signing off on financials, uh, we're going to at least, at least, uh, step back and maybe decide not proceed with client. So I, I think this industry needs some shakeup. I think, generally speaking, uh, this is the kind of shakeup that's needed. That's that's my position. What's yours? My take on it is that 
in a deal this big and this important, if you get to the stage where you are actually individually suing the executives at your supplier, there are no winners. And if as a consumer or a buyer or a supply chain manager, if the project that you're working on gets to that point, it doesn't really matter that somebody can be held accountable. You've still fallen short of objectives. Something should have changed before that point or been done differently. And as much as I absolutely believe that everyone should be held to account to face the liability that they incur in the course of doing business, I prefer a more empowered look at thinking that, no, at the end of the day, I still have to think of myself as being as accountable and as empowered to handle this situation and not simply consoling myself with the idea that when the train comes off the track, I can personally sue all of the executives at my supplier. And result is we're sort of saying the same thing in a way, aren't we? I suppose we are. Did we actually agree? I had intended not to agree with you. <laughs> yes, I know. By the way, everybody, this is the kind of conversations we have normally. So, you know, you're just, uh, this is how we talk. So you're getting us live and on, on, on editing. But, yeah, I think we actually kind of agreed. Just different paths. But I think I, I think we agree. Nonetheless, this is an interesting discussion. We're going to have to do this again on other such uh, controversial subjects, uh, you know, which I'm sure we'll get in trouble for somewhere down the road. But we can Kelly, only hope so. We can only hope so. And again, that's the whole idea. It, it, it's not consensus that we seek through these kinds of segments. It's to get people thinking and maybe looking at things in a different light. Hopefully, we've done that. I know Kelly. I enjoyed this time with you. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, John. And you, of course, the listener, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, stay tuned for uh, future segments, and uh, also look for our book, Procurement at the Crossroads. I think it's coming out sometime in November. That's, that's what the publisher tells us, and I promise you, it will be an equally tantalizing read. I think tantalizing is a good word. Anyway, until I come at you over these same virtual airways again, have a great week. Bye for now. slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.